spiritual body. <clears throat> if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So each of those descriptions of what is sown, I believe, is a description of the body as it's subject to the curse of sin. Weak. Um, dishonored. Natural. And perishable. But that it's resurrected form, it's free of these things. In particular, I think that it's helpful to hone in on that word imperishable or incorruptible. So you might have learned it that way. It's sown in corruption, it's raised incorruptible. I think that that is our, chief, uh, our main proof passage. Just for the record, you want to note this. Our main proof passage, from what I can tell, for the <coughs> infallibility of humanity in heaven. So I, I remember being at a uh, retreat and w with a bunch of kids, uh, um, confirmation student kids, and one of them asked me, on the subject of heaven, will we be able to sin, will we be able to fall back into sin when we're in heaven? And I said, no. And he said, how do you know that from the Bible? And I didn't know the answer. <laughs> well, I don't like that. That was a game of stump the pastor and that little kid stumped me. So I had to go uh, hunting around for, why, wait a minute, how is it that we know? We'll return to this to state like we were in Adam and Eve, sinless, but Adam and Eve could sin, and they did. Will we be able to sin in heaven? And I still conclude the answer to that question is no, and it's on the basis of this passage. Look at the word there, imperishable or incorruptible. Notice Paul could have simply taught that, that the body is, is sown corrupt and raised incorrupt which is beautiful. I, I, the body will be incorrupt, but he doesn't just say incorrupt, does he? He adds that suffix, incorruptible. That's right, and later on I was gonna say, uh, what is mortal must put on immortality. It's not possible to be corrupt, it's not possible to die, that's what immortality means. And that has, by extension, has to mean that it's impossible for the, for the Christian in heaven with his new body to fall into sin, otherwise it would by necessity be corruptible. Adam and Eve were corruptible. But we in heaven will be incorruptible. Question? No, just a comment. The comment of rest also applies, I think, because we have unrest because of the struggles with the devil. But if we are at rest, we don't have a struggle with the devil. And therefore, if we are at rest, I think that would also uh, applied to that uh, uh, logically. I think, yeah, sure, I think so. Um, we won't, have, yeah, we, we won't be fighting. Here, we fight. In heaven, what, what the battles we fight here, we, 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 we lay down arms. We have other work to do, but it won't be fighting work. Uh, Matthew 5, 6 to 12, 6 and 12, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled. Rejoice and be glad for, for your reward is great in heaven. I just quote that from Matthew 5. It's called the Beatitudes. I think the Beatitudes should be read. Blessed are you Christians who are described in these various ways, for you will have things in heaven. There will be rewards given to you or benefits in heaven that you'll have. How do I think it's from heaven? Because of that verse number 12 at the end. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. I think that the benefits here are talking about heaven. So I'm going to scale back then to that beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for they will be filled. When will they be filled? They'll be filled in heaven. I don't think that this refers to justification. I, I, do, I do not believe this is, this is referring to the reckoned or the imputed righteousness of Christ. Um, because I don't need to hunger and thirst for the imputed righteousness of Christ, do I? I already have it. Christ, by his, by his perfect obedience to the Ten Commandments, has bestowed that or declared that or imputed that to me right now in its perfection through faith alone. I don't have to ask for it. I can't grow in it. I have it already in perfection. And yet he is talking to people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, in what sense do I now hunger and thirst for righteousness? If I already have the perfect imputedness, imputed righteousness of Jesus, what righteousness am I hungering and thirsting after? My own yeah, I want, I want actually to be without sin, not just by forgiveness, which I have blessedly right now. But what's so, what's so painful in this life is that while I am forgiven of my sins, I want actually just not to have the, the sins, period. I hunger now and thirst for my own righteousness to actually be good Jesus says blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for that you're fully righteous now in Christ by imputation in heaven you'll actually be righteous with your own goodness and righteousness in addition of course to the righteousness of Christ <laughs> so this is, a, this is beautiful we'll be without sin and we'll be righteous in heaven we won't have that there just won't be battles that we fight anymore Boy, won't that be nice? Ugh. Um. Let us. I've got some questions about the body and the resurrection of the body. Let's get on to our heavenly home. <clears throat> Basic argument here, as I've already said, is that God intends to destroy this heavens and the earth that He has right now, that's been corrupt because of our sin, but that He intends to restore. He just destroy it for the purpose of restoration. Or purification not for the purpose of annihilation I don't believe I know good theologians who argue that I do not think it's sustainable on the scriptures and so I would argue that God destroys the earth for purificating purposes and that the earth that we will live on forever and ever is in fact the present earth right now we don't go to heaven we're in the place where heaven will come this is we're on we are presently in our eternal home right now why, if that's okay, let me do the, I'll do the passage. But why, if that's the case, does say, for instance, First Peter or Hebrews say that we are aliens and strangers in this world if this is our home? Or that we're pilgrims? Or that we're longing for a better country, like Paul says in Hebrews? How can that be? How, how, how is it that I'm a pilgrim and a stranger, and yet I can also say this is a place I'll be forever, this is my home? It's because I long for, I long for this home purified of sin. I pick, the picture I've got in my mind is of, um, is of my home back in, in Colorado. Just imagine, this is, my, this is where all my family is and where I eat and it's beautiful. Just imagine if some band of terrorists and thugs came in and took over my house. And they put me and my family down in a basement in a back furnace room and they trapped us and put us in chains and fed us some disgusting stuff. And then in the meantime, they trashed my house. And they took up residence and lived there and destroyed things and put holes in the wall, disgusting, smelly, 
things, oh, they don't take care of my house. And, um, it, it, just in reflecting on that, I am down there in the furnace room, all chained up, hungry and abused. Would I say this is my home? In a certain way, yeah, this is my home. But in another way, I could absolutely say this is not my home. I long for my home. Can, can you see the difference? So say the authorities come, they kick them out, everything gets restored and perfected. It's brand new again. But it's, per, but it's restored to the condition where it was. Then I can say, in, in, in all honesty, again, this is now my home. But I didn't, what? I didn't go anywhere. I believe that's the disposition that we should have with our world right now and our planet. That this is not our home only in the sense that we've, we've, we ourselves are abused, the planet is abused, that th things are haywire here, and that God intends to come and restore it to perfection. And then we'll truly be, be, uh, be home. That's, I think, the image, at least, that I would have. So let's do the passages. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. The heavens here just means the sky. The sky so the, uh, Uranus is the, is the word, so everything kind of up in the sky, the stars, and so forth, is the heavens, plural. The foundation of the earth, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up like a garment. They'll be changed, but you are the same in your ears and will have no end. Just a clear uh, indication that the Lord intends to <clears throat> uh, destroy uh, or, what's he say, change or undo, unroll this present earth. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth here is what we're living on. It will pass away. That's what he says. 2 Peter 3, 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be either exposed or, the word is a little bit obscure, it could also mean burned up or incinerated exposed or incinerated. So it's clear that the world is to be destroyed, and in this case, 2 Peter says, by fire. I do note here, this is set in parallel with the destruction of the world by a flood. In the immediate vicinity, Peter is teaching about how the destruction of the world on the last day will be like, in many ways, the destruction of the world by a flood. Remember, the destruction of the world by a flood was indeed called destruction, wasn't it? But it was restorative in nature, or purificating in nature. In Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So what we'll have then on this day is in fact a new heaven and a new earth. From just the passage in Revelation 21, it sounds like a replacement heaven and earth, doesn't it? A new heaven and a new earth. But that word new, that doesn't have to mean replacement. If, my, if, I, if I smashed up my car and then we took it into a body shop and they fixed it all up, in fact, made it even better, I'd say, I got, I got a, my, my car's all what? New. It's the same car, it's just, now new can mean I got an entirely different car, but it can also mean that it's all fixed. It's new in that way. I'm just saying that when the Bible says a new heaven's a new earth, that it doesn't mean replaced, but fixed. 
Isaiah 65, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever. And that, by the way, the former things will not be remembered. I argued, didn't I, earlier, that we will be able to remember our former life. He's talking here about sin, and I don't think he's talking about our memory. I think he's talking about God's memory. The former things will not be remembered by who? By God. What are the former things he's talking about? Our sins and our guilt. He, has no, he just is disposed to forget our sins and guilt or not, not bring them up. That's what he means there. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jer Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. Second Peter 3. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. <coughs> Word, constantly. New heavens and a new earth. That's the, that's the picture. That's the hope that we're pushing to. Romans 8, super important. Super, super important. For me, this is the defining verse. For the creation was subjected to futility. Now, we're not talking here just about souls or bodies, but the entire creation. And we've got referencing heavens and the earth. So the Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who did this? God did it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what's the freedom of the children of the glory of God? Excuse me. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is that? That is my, that's my future home, my restoration in the body, which has been taught. Here, though, we're not being taught about the body, but being taught about all of creation. So all of creation in Romans 8 apparently has a hope. Of, what's it hoping for? To be utterly annihilated and replaced? That's not very hopeful. Rather, all of creation figuratively speaking, expresses a hope that it will be, it will have the same kind of restoration that the children of God have. What's that? Restoration. Renewal. So I think that this means that creation, as we see it, according to Romans 8, that creation will be restored altogether only without the groaning that had been subjected to as a result of our sin. And that we will therefore, that's what's being described here, we will therefore live in a heaven where we have everything we have now. Why in a new creation would you expect there not to be trees? God made trees. He made dirt. He made grass, gardens, streets even, cities. Why if he says it's a new heavens and a new earth, that all of the things that he's presently created long to be restored, would we ever expect that we're going to live in existence without the things that he made the first time around? I'm just saying there's no basis for that. We have every reason to suspect that what we presently enjoy in a sin-cursed world, we will also enjoy then in a sin-purified world. So clearly better. To back that up, a couple verses, Acts 3.21. Heaven and earth must receive Jesus at the time 
until the time comes for God to restore everything. And just say our bodies, but to restore all things, panta, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. I'm t I'm, the NAV has got this, because I, I was reading the ESV, you can look this up at other translations, it doesn't have it. But the, the NIV is accurate. Matthew 9, 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, <laughs> you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That again is NIV, and it's got it right. The renewal of all things. That's important. Then finally, Revelation 21. Can I just read that? Pastor Clemmer read it already today. But I just want to read a few passages. So Revelation 21, or a few verses out of it. <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I had no idea what that means. Like I told you, Revelation is... I've never been able to figure out why it says in the sea was no more. Why is the sea no more? Well, I know what the commentaries say here. It's not like I haven't read the commentaries. The commentaries say, oh, because in the ancient world, the sea was an indication of great danger, and they thought demons lived in the sea, monsters lived in the sea. And so this, this is just a way of comforting them that the sea isn't going to be threatening anymore or something. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, just, I just wish, uh, I, I don't know what it means. But the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse number two, and I saw holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Look at this. So uh, an entire city is the This is the last day. That's a new heaven. I saw new heavens and a new earth. And the holy city, the new Jerusalem, was coming down out of heaven. So heaven here is being pictured as being someplace up here, coming down out of heaven. God is in that city. What is this city? What is the new Jerusalem? We're told here, prepared as a as a, as a bride, that's a picture of the Lord's church. Well, what's the Lord's church that comes down out of heaven? It's the, it's the souls and the saints in heaven that have been waiting. There they are. They're with the Lord. They now come. He says, I saw them descending. And verse 3 now says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This specifically means God, God now, who had been with his saints, I don't know, somewhere up, or, now comes down and resides on, the definition now of heaven is God's residing on our earth with us. The dwelling place of God now is with man. Will heaven be just like oh, Eden? From my sense in Genesis, God would come to visit in the cool of the day and walk around. Christ would walk with them. But this is more than that. This is saying his dwelling place, his home. He will make his home now on the new earth. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. That the former things have passed away. What's the former things? The earth and trees and dirt? The former things that have passed away are our sins and guilt and, and the devil. 
They're gone. But not the earth. Okay. Back to the outline. Letter D, our heavenly lives. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I just point this out so that you would know that in, that in a miraculous way, in ways that I don't think will be possible for us, in a miraculous way, the Lord Jesus himself will, will be visible to everybody. This is talking about judgment day, but in heaven, he'll be with us always. How's he going to be with us? There can be so many people. You have to spend all this time. He has to part time with everybody. Well, in some sort of a way, we're told Jesus will be with us all the time in heaven. And it will be glorious. How does he do that? I don't know. It's a miracle of his divine nature. That's beautiful. Revelation 21, I just read this. I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And then Revelation 22, 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So we're always to look at Christ in heaven. Lots more verses that I could bring to your attention, I think, and could have included, but I knew I wouldn't have time. I want to get to these common questions then, if I can, with what time I have left. Do the best I can. Here's our basic um, structure. This is my worldview, which I think is informed fully by the Bible, hopefully. My worldview then is that what I can what I can expect in heaven is according to this formula. Now, what's life what's life like now? Right now, minus sinful stuff, everything that might be the result of sin equals heaven. Parentheses unless unless we have a specific Bible passage and there's some exceptions, but broadly speaking. If you got it here, and it's not because of sin, then we can expect, reasonably speaking, we can deduce that we'll have it there. Now, can I prove that we'll have it there? Let me just address that a second. Can I prove it? I can't prove everything. I think we're going to have to make some biblically informed deductions. So, does the Bible say any place that we won't have three arms? It doesn't. I'm deducing that, aren't I? Based on what? Based on the teaching of the resurrection of the body, the continuity with my eyes and not another. It's going to be the same body as I have now. I don't have three arms now. I don't think I'd have three arms then. Is it possible that God could do a miracle and some crazy unexpected thing and give me wings so I could fly? Oh, I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's not something I'm led to conclude in the Bible. I think we're safe when we're concluding things reasonably that the Bible gives us reason to believe is true. But I just have this caveat, okay, fine. I, well, I don't have passages maybe that say these things. I'm just deducing them in a sanctified, hopefully biblically based way. Fair, fair enough? And when we get to heaven, I've probably been wrong about a thing or two. I know that. and I'll, I'll, I think it'll be great. It'll be better than what I imagined. And you'll all come and make fun of me, and I won't care. Um, but I'm just, I'm saying, well, could, there could be a thing, a tinkery little thing here and there that I'm, that I'm off on. But I don't think that it's because it would be non-biblically based, unless, unless you think so. Okay, first, will we eat? Some of these I've already addressed. Will we eat? The answer is, yeah, I believe we'll, we'll, we'll not only eat, but we'll eat in order to satisfy hungry, uh, hunger and for joy. 
um, we're told we'll never hunger or thirst. It, but <clears throat> that's because food will be plentiful. It'd be a strange thing for people to say we won't eat in heaven when one of the most predominant images of heaven is a what? As a, as a feast, a banquet, a supper. So one of the, one of, this is one of the good parts. Will we sleep or get tired? Well, let's apply our rule, or my rule that I assembled. Number one, do we sleep now? Yeah, we do. Is the fact that we have to sleep or that we do sleep, is that sinful? Or is it a product of the fall into sin that we sleep right now? Would Adam and Eve, for instance, would they have been sleeping? I don't think sleep is, in, is intrinsically sinful or a product of the fall into sin. But maybe as our bodies get weaker in time, we might have to sleep more. Maybe that's not going to be the case. But boy, I just don't see a reason if God gave sleep to Adam and Eve, I don't know why a, a reason why that wouldn't be there in, in heaven. Why not sleep? What would be wrong with that? Why would I all of a sudden invent a body or think up of a body that doesn't need sleep? So I would, I would suppose that it is sleep. We do have that common imagery of, of the Bible that we rest in heaven. I admit that's good, that references the conscience, but I just can't. I, look, um, so, <laughs> so Pastor Clemmer and I were just saying that one of the most glorious times of the week is a Sunday afternoon when we take a nap. You're saying that's going to be gone? That's the good stuff. Look, in certain instances, one of the challenges is here is that sin has so infected and soaked this world and, and me and my heart and our bodies that I'm not always positive what is from sin and what isn't. That'd be a little challenging. Maybe I won't need to sleep as much. Maybe I'll sleep more Be or better. <laughs> Maybe I'll sleep better. I don't see any reason to conclude I won't sleep, and I don't understand the people who say we won't sleep or won't need to. Yeah. Okay. Yes? I think I can make an argument for it. For not sleeping? Well, for not sleeping. Yeah, that there's no night? Well, so we only get one reference to Adam and Eve, and it's when God was Adam. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that Adam, Adam, God caused Adam to sleep in the garden. And uh, it's just, it's not a strong enough argument. <laughs> you're going to have to prove to me that you left him in the garden. In the garden? Okay. I can't prove it to you. Except Adam did sleep. And it wasn't sinful, was it? Even though God gave him his sleep. All right, let me keep going. Well, by, uh, maybe I should ask this question. Will we get tired or get fatigued? Now, it says the body is sown in weakness and it's raised in strength. So we'll have strong bodies. I don't know how strong. I don't think that means superhuman because we're not going to be superhumans. We're going to be humans. But I am interested in, in how it is that my body will be strong when I'm raised. Um, I, I, I suspect that that's in reference to bodies to, like right now 
that are, that are getting weaker and weaker. So I, I know that I, I, I have Christian friends who, uh, who can barely walk. I've had people in the last couple of years that will have gotten sick and they will say, walking from the couch to the kitchen is exhausting. And in reference to that kind of fatigue, when the Lord says you'll be strong, you go through a nursing home and tell the people, you'll be sown in weakness, you'll be raised in strength, and they'll say, yeah, can't wait to be able to run and jump. But even me, I think my body, even, even, even somebody in the, in the prime of their life, say 28, will yet be stronger in the next life than they are here. But that still, I don't know, is a reason to justify not having fatigue. I just say, if you work a good hard day, I think at the end of the day, you'll want to take a load off, rest a little bit, have a drink. I think you'd be, that's, there's, a, there's a kind of a pleasant fatigue, isn't there sometimes? Will we be male, female? Oh, no, no, number three. I have a different wording on my notes. So what age will we seem? Did you see the way I asked that? Not what age will we be. We'll be whatever age we are. So we'll all get together for each other's 2,000-year-old birthday or 10,000 years. We'll be old. We'll be really old, I guess, in heaven. The question is, how, how old will our body appear? This actually, as I understand it, was a highly debated question for many, many centuries. So you think we really need to talk about this. Well, apparently the church talked about it for a lot. And the, the general consensus <laughs> is that the human body, you can argue about this if you want, but that the human body reaches its zenith at about 30 years old, or maybe 27, maybe 31, maybe 25. But that the body will appear in the state at which it was least subject to the curse of sin. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis said that he thought that the world would be age, that he thought human bodies would be ageless. Like you'd, you'd be able to look at them and wouldn't be able to tell anything about age. And I think C.S. Lewis is weird about that. What does that even mean? Bodies appear to have a certain age. How does a body all of a sudden not look a certain way? It looks way. It looks ways. That's weird. It's, but it's Gnostic, I think. I just I think we'll, we we won't look like children because we weren't meant to be children. We'll look like health, but we'll, we'll, we'll be at our most healthy position, and then even what? Even better. Number four, will we wear clothes? Ah, here we go. So this, my formula, remember, is do we wear clothes now? Yes. Is the fact that we wear clothes right now a product of the fall and the sin? Yes. So uh, you might conclude from this that we would not wear clothes in heaven, and I think there's room to suggest that we could potentially be without clothes in heaven. With this exception, there's a number of references in the Bible which reference people wearing robes, clothes. Robes, okay, so robes have just been a standard, what people wore in, 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 the, in the Bible times. So will we be wearing robes? I suppose people, some people might be wearing robes, but I, I think just clothes. I think it's very possible that we're just walking around in clothes all the time without the, necessarily the necessity of being in clothes. Well, it won't be necessary, but clothes are beautiful. Clothes are nice. Clothes in the Bible are regularly referenced as being beautiful, colorful, purple clothes, robes, dressed in white, sashes, 
God was very interested in the clothing that he would put on the priests in the temple. This was all given as not just merely covering nakedness, but as extolling the human body. So I think there's a good chance that we'll wear clothes in heaven, but I'm not going to come down solid on that. Will we be male, female? Answer, are we male, male, female right now? Is being a male or a female a product of the curse and the sin? No, we were made this way. It's part of our essence. My maleness is part of who I am. Now, I know that comes up against common kind of movements today, but we need to, we need to assert this in the face of these different movements that, are, that our gender or our sexuality is not essential to who we are. It is, okay, at least from a Bible perspective. So um, our, our, our manness will be exalted in heaven. Our femaleness or womanness will be exalted also in heaven. Number six, what about children who die? Will they be raised as adults or will they be raised as children? I think that the best way to look at this is the, it, the body that is raised will be what body? The body that was sown or that we buried. Remember the continuity? My eyes and not another. So we, we would deduce based on this that the body that we put into the ground is the body that's raised. Not some substitute body or some fast-forwarded body, but the very body that was put into the ground will be raised. So if it's a, if it's a three-year-old that we put into the body, sadly, very happily, it will be a three-year-old that's raised. Only that three-year-old, there's good reason to believe that that three-year-old would then continue to grow because God intends not that a person be this tall forever, but when he gave us a body, this a teeny little body like this, he intended that our body would grow and get strong and reach maturity or finished, which is six foot or however tall, so that the three-year-old little body would then grow, but where now? In the new heavens and the new in the new earth. So we, 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 we rightly have great sorrow when a child or a small child dies, but that's appropriate that we should be sad for such a thing, but we ought to remember that that child gets the privilege, assuming he was a Christian, baptized, that child gets the privilege of, being, of getting to grow up and have childhood in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, he won't have all the interesting things he would have had here. That's what the new heavens and the new earth offer. Baseball, grass, mountains, swimming, playing around. Only he gets it without heartbreak, without bullies, without awkwardness around boys or girls, without being afraid of what's going to happen with his mom and dad, without all the impediments of childhood, he gets his childhood in a sin-free world. That's a great privilege. You see, the Lord can bring good even out of, even out of evil. Okay. Number seven. Will everyone in the choir sing on key? <clears throat> now, that question I can... Some of you might remember this. The background of this question is that I, I had a spelling curriculum that I taught my kids when we were, when we were homeschooling when they were little. And the, we'd have a, 
the vocabulary word is choir, so I haven't, uh, I'd say choir, spell choir. And then I have to have a little, little sentence to go along with it. And the sentence was a Christian curriculum, so the little sentence was choir. In heaven, everyone will sing, in heaven, everyone in the choir will sing on key, choir. And the kids always get annoyed with me because as often as not, I would go after the sentence. What? Was that true? Will everyone in heaven sing on key? What's our rule, remember? Does everyone, right now, does everyone sing on key in the choir? No. Unless <laughs> very good choirs, but does everyone here always sing, always on key? Answer, no. Is your not singing on key a sin on your part? Is it a result of the fall into sin? Maybe. I don't think it's wise to conclude that it is. Jesus, for instance, when he was a little child, we're told in Luke chapter 2 that J Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus, sinless, grew in wisdom. That means he got better at certain things, which means he started out not perfect at things. He was sinlessly perfect. But that doesn't mean he could always hit the three-pointer. Three or do perfect math every time. He had to learn these things he developed, and it wasn't simple. So what I'm suggesting is that we could have things we're not very good at in heaven, and that we're getting that working on, learning new things, learning languages, learning instruments, learning how to cook, accomplish this, whatever it might be, just learning new things. It's exciting. It's, a lot of you have goals. I think, because sometimes we think, like uh, when I'm young, I got a whole expanse of time out in front of me. Years, 60, 70, I'll probably live to be 100. Think of all the things I'll be able to accomplish. I make goals when I'm young and I have dreams because I've got time on my side. As I get older, that time horizon starts to cinch down a little bit and I start to encroach on my, well, I'm not going to try to learn Latin now. What I, I'm going to die before I ever have a chance to get any good at it. Why would I want to pick up this or that? I'm on the sunset of my life. It's time to just coast. I'll sit here at home. I think that's kind of sad because if you have a Bible perspective, this is just the beginning. Your dreams can really take root and expand. Just say, I'm going to start learning the trumpet. I'll get a ways here before I die. And then I'll pick it back up again in the new heavens and new earth. Why wouldn't I play the trumpet there? And I'll just develop. But I'm going to start it now. Why? Because I have a huge expanse and a horizon in front of me. It's not a, well, I only have a few more years left. I better not hope and grow and take chances and go out on a limb or just play it safe. Ah, you have a lot of time. Why am I talking about this? Um, because I, I just don't think we need to conclude that singing off key is wrong. Sing! You get better as time goes on. Next question. Will we get the answer to all of our questions? I don't, well, you're not going to get the answer to that question. <laughs> Let's see, where's the microphone? I'm just kidding with you. Where's, Yeah. It's a super good question. Her question was, what about babies before they were baptized? Either 
they were born, not baptized, and then died. Or they were di- or they or they're not even born and they died because either that their life was taken young or we decided to take their life young. Uh, what about them? I, what, it's pretty clear, I think, that, and I don't want to talk where the Bible doesn't talk. I think there's some, I, I, so I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says. But did Jesus intend to die <clears throat> and did he die for babies still in the womb? The answer is yes, because he died for all people and babies in the womb are people. And then that's, that's part of the reason that Jesus was, didn't just start his humanity as an adult or as a child, but he went all the way back and scooped up humanity from the very conception from the very beginning. So he became a substitute to babies in the womb. He died for babies. Does that mean that he's given faith? Let's just say through faith alone and not everybody automatically believes. We believe through miraculous intervention of God. Does God, does God promise to give faith to babies in the womb? He doesn't make a promise. I don't have a Bible promise of it. Can he give faith to babies in the womb? Yes, he can. So he's given, we have examples of that. I have Psalm 22, I have Psalm 139, and I've got John the Baptist and left in the womb, etc. So he has a ways, aside from baptism, to give faith to babies. Does he want to save them? Would he desire to save babies in the womb? More so than his, their moms and dads? He loves their soul's salvation more than their moms and dads, more than me. I just, what I can't talk, Joyce, is I can't say yes, he saves all babies in the womb. Because he doesn't say that. I don't have a, I don't, I, I, I just don't want to go past the Bible on this. But I, I think it's, it's profoundly reasonable to assume that there will be many, many little babies, even babies pre-born. How will they, their lives be sustained in the new heavens and the new earth apart from a womb? I have no idea. I don't have answers to that question. And the Bible doesn't have it. Because they're tiny. They can be real, real little things, can't they? Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I don't have any reason not to believe that God doesn't have a way to sustain them. And maybe even he'll sustain them in some beautiful way through their moms and their dads. Right? Who's, who, from whom they were taken. So moms and dads yearn long, they, they grieve that they didn't get to raise that child. That, on, that in the new heavens and the new earth, it may quite well be the case that the Lord simply says, here, you can raise him now. Or, but that I don't know. I'm a little beyond what I can say with complete certainty. Will we get the answers to all of our questions? <clears throat> no, we, don't, we're, we do not become omniscient. We're not God in heaven. We're still humans. We'll, we, we'll, we'll learn. We'll get answers to a lot more questions, won't we? There's nothing in the Bible that says we'll know everything, and that we'll learn everything. We'll fill our bucket list. Bucket, yeah. <laughs> you know that's right. I hate bucket lists. I don't think you should have them. Bucket lists imply I've got a certain amount of time. I'm going to try to get things done, and then I've lost, I don't have no more time. Forget about that. You've got, you got time to be able to do these things. Will we work? Do we work now? Yeah. Is work, did work happen because of sin? No. Adam and Eve were put in the garden in, in order to work it. Now, that work became a rat race and it became kind of in a lot of ways futile. That I would have, I, I, Adam had said, 
He had a nice garden, but now there would be what? Weeds by the sweat of your brow. You'll, you'll, you'll do these things. So work now is afflicted with certain kinds of misery, which we'll be freed from. But that doesn't mean we'll be freed from the work. I think you should abandon this idea that you'll spend all of heaven on a beach someplace um, and, and not working while people come and wait on you. I don't actually think that that's as appealing as we sometimes meant. Maybe for a week it is, or a couple of weeks. But I don't think it's super appealing. I, I know a lot of people that have retired and love it. I know a lot, a, a lot more people who have retired, and then they what did what? They went and found something to work on, because they long and love to work. Work is actually good. It's a pleasure. We're told that we'll serve the Lord in heaven, and I don't just think that means we'll worship Him and sing to Him all the time. I think it means we will work. We'll have things to do, things to accomplish. That's actually good. That's not sinful. Will we learn? I believe we'll learn for forever. I think there'll be an endless number of things to learn. We'll get to that. We think, no, we got a lot of time. We're, we're, eventually we'll have learned it all. I don't think the Lord will have structured the universe in such a way that we'll ever get to the end of the things and the beautiful, interesting things we can learn. Will we have houses? Why would we need houses? There, because there won't be wind. <laughs> I think wind's a product of the fall in the sin necessary. You can argue with me about that, but I really don't like wind. I like snow, and I like sunshine, and even rain, and I don't like wind. I do, though, have reason to believe that we'll have houses, and that's from that one passage. What? In my father's house are many mansions. Yeah, could, sure. Look, could you take that figuratively if you want to? I think that mansion's my spiritual home in heaven where he shines. Okay, sure. But that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty literal language, isn't it? Uh, uh, you know where I'm going. Do, do not be afraid. Or, uh, in my father's house are many rooms or many mansions. The, ins the, the, uh, the idea there is dwelling places. Mones is the Greek word, I think. Do we have houses here? <coughs> yeah. Is that because of sin? Well, that we have to have so much insulation in the dumb things is probably because of sin. But not the houses themselves. I just think houses are beautiful. Here, he's driving up and down the streets. I think they're just beautiful. Tell an architect sometime who, who's designing houses all the time, beautifully made houses. No, your, your job won't be necessary in heaven anymore. That would be too bad, wouldn't it? Well, I think buildings, houses, the whole thing, I think it would just be beautiful. Will we remember our lives on earth? We already discussed that. I think the evidence is yes. No reason to believe that we wouldn't. Will we recognize each other? Because we, we are resurrected in the bodies we have right now, there's no reason to believe that we wouldn't recognize each other. I do know that the disciples, remember there's a couple different instances. Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus when, when, when he rose. She thought it was a gardener, remember? But I think he just, I think she just didn't look. I think she was just, I think she saw somebody working and didn't look. I mean that. I think, because it's, I think, disrespectful in, the, that, in that age for a woman to look directly at a man. It's, just a, it's a disrespectful thing to do, so I think she was just talking. <clears throat> and that's why the words are what gave her recognition. There's a couple disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize the Lord either, but, they, but that explicitly says it's because that, the recognition had been hid from them. Now, that was divine. 
for whatever the reason was, they didn't recognize him, not because he was totally different, unrecognizable, because their eyes had been closed to being able to see who he is. But once their eyes were open, boom, there he is. Looks just like he always did. I think we'll recognize each other, know each other, and that'd be just magnificent. Boy, the day of reunion, that, what that's gonna look like. Think of the songs and the reminiscing and the stories that we'll tell. Will there be marriage in heaven? Is there marriage now? Yes. Is marriage a result of the fall into sin? No. The institution of marriage came before the fall. But here is one of those, we have to have a parenthesis. Marriage, uh, we have a specific Bible passage. Jesus taught that in heaven will be like the angels in this regard. Not that we won't have bodies or things, but in this regard that they're neither given that they neither marry or are given in marriage. So from this we conclude that marriage is an institution which the Lord has consigned to this particular world and that its purposes will no longer be needed in heaven. The chief purposes being uh, that he, he, he created marriages to be the perfect environment for families and for children. And so I would deduce from this, I, I don't know of a way that God has arranged he may have things I don't know about, but I don't know of a way that God has arranged for new children to be procreated or created in the new heavens and new earth. Now, like I said, could he invent a completely unexpected way to do this? Maybe. And we are told there will be children in heaven, Isaiah 25 and elsewhere. Um, but how he would give it, apparently not through marriage like we have it now. That's it's pretty, I think a lot of people find that to be distressing or sad that we won't have marriage. For whatever it's worth, um, I, think you'll get along, I think you'll get along better with your husband in heaven than you do now. I think you'll actually be closer to him. Uh, more even, have even greater and deeper affection. What apparently you wouldn't have is the kind of marital affection that you might have now, which would be sexual in nature, and the, the, and the kind of one-on-one -on -one commitment. But you'll still have your children together that you, that you might have had. Still have your parents. You're connected by DNA that way. Um, so that's, a, that's, just, that's one of these Bible passages that we're given um, where there's apparently no marriage in heaven. Okay, next. We'll, let's go. So, will there be sex? Let's just get right to it. Um, from what we can tell, no. There'd be no that, that we don't have an arena for appropriate expression of sex if there's no marriage. Um, is, is sex sinful? No. It would have, sex would have existed. Now, can it be contorted to be sinful? Obviously, as can any good thing. Um, but from what we can tell in heaven, there's no, there's no appropriate expression of that. Uh, again, can the Lord just do something that I don't know anything about or that he didn't inform me of in the Bible? I suppose he could. But not that we know of. C.S. Lewis talked about this one time. He was asked that question and addressed it. I can't remember where he addressed it. And I don't have the exact quote. But he said about, about this question, it'd be like trying to explain to a child that there'd be no, or that, well, like the, the enjoyment of sex. And the child, who doesn't know anything about this, says, well, do you get to eat chocolate when you're doing it? <laughs> and when explained, no, you... You would never want to eat chocolate while you're doing that because it's better than the chocolate. Then the child would say, huh? 
that doesn't make any sense. See, he can't con what he can't conceive of something anything higher or better than chocolate, which entirely replaces it and makes it unnecessary. And I suppose in certain ways that's like that for us. That that kind of pleasure is presumably to be replaced by something higher and better. But since we don't know what that higher and better thing is, it's hard for us to what? To buy into it. <laughs> I'm not real sure about that. Well, I don't know what the higher and better thing is. Um, but apparently not. 16, well, we own things. Do we own things now? Yeah. Is owning things sinful? Did it come about that we own things because of the fall into sin? The answer on this actually is no. The Lord approves of personal belongings and even has a commandment by which he protects personal belongings. You shall not, you shall not steal. In fact, the Lord apparently thinks that we should be comforted and encouraged with the promise of owning lots of things when we get to heaven. Where's my notes on this? Store up for yourselves. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Purely, I'm sure, spiritual treasures only, right? Why would that be? Apparently we'll have treasures in heaven which exceed the beautiful treasures we have here. I don't have a reason to believe that that wouldn't be physical, nice things. Some of you have nice things in your homes that are treasures to you. They're not little idols. They're just beautiful things that the Lord has given. God said, don't, if other people shouldn't come steal them because he's given them to you. Who's given them to you? He has. I believe he'll give all kinds of things to us in heaven that we'll be able to treasure and be at no risk of making an idol and to, to replace him. Belongings in heaven. All right. Will we still be Americans? Revelation 7, 9, when John looks up there, he says that he sees people from every... Nation, tribe, people, and language. So we'll apparently retain some part of our identity as Americans. I'm assuming you're all Americans. If you're not, then whatever your nationality might be. That that'll be in some sense retained. Will we still speak English? Well, according to the verse we just read, he saw people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. This is strange. Do we speak English here? Yes. Is speaking English a product of the fall into sin? Yes, it is. There was one united language and it had to be divided and that was specifically because of sin. Back at the Tower of Babel. However, since John, when he sees them, sees that they're from every nation, tribe, and uh, people, and language, they must have had distinct, they must have in some sense retained the language that the Lord had given. And yet, they can all sing a singular song. So I, I don't know what to tell you about language. My, what I suspect is that we'll be multilingual and we'll be able to communicate with everybody with, without barrier. And yet, at the same time, we'll retain the beauty of our mother tongue because we have our distinct language. Will there be, ah, yeah, yeah. Will there be uh, animals? How are we doing on time? Are there animals now? Are, are, did animals come about because of sin? 
I don't know any reason why there wouldn't be animals. And in fact, I know that the Lord has a particular affectionate place for animals in his heart. He'll destroy the world a second time by fire. The first time he destroyed the world was by a flood. He did, make, he did pay careful attention to save the, the world, for starters. Even though he destroyed it, he, he restored it. He, he, he also saved Christians, particularly people, eight people in all. But he, made a, he went to special effort to, to retain animals. And so that we have some passages that speak of animals, uh, lions and cobra and so forth in the, in the Bible. So I think that we have good reason to believe that all these animals will be restored to perfection and it will happen there. But how interesting, because one of the products of the fall of the sin is, is that animals can at times be dangerous. But they won't be dangerous anymore in heaven, not that I can tell. Not that they would inflict on us. So we'll, have, we'll be restored unto animals, but without danger. And that means what sorts of animals? Animals that have gone extinct. So maybe even, maybe even dinosaurs. In fact, I won't say maybe even, probably even dinosaurs. You just thought you could watch it in a movie. But that means that there's, there comes a day when we will stand before massive creatures, interesting creatures, and enjoy them. What about your pets? Will our pets be in heaven? <clears throat> We're, uh, humans are made in the image of God. When God became incarnate, he specifically became incarnate as a man to save humans. There's no sense that he that he did that in order to save individualized animals that do not have the same image or value to him that humans do. We are the apple of his eye, the pinnacle of his creation. So that there's no Bible proof whatsoever that individual or specific animals, animals, yes, specific animals, that they will be uh, in heaven. Nevertheless, would God be capable of, re, of resurrecting and recreating some particular beloved pet that you've had or that I've had. Could he do that if he wanted to? I think so. I don't think there's any reason he wouldn't be able to. So it wouldn't surprise me. I'll say it this way. It wouldn't surprise me if he, for your sake, recreated some particular beloved pet or a number of pets and just gave them back to you in heaven. He could do that. Will we laugh? Luke 6, 21. This is a gospel reading on Sunday. I'm going to preach on this. Oh, wait. No, this was this last Sunday, wasn't it? Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. There'll be laughter in heaven. Will we eat meat? I already tried that one, and I just I don't know if we'll eat meat. Will there be money? That's not on your form, but I like this question. Will there be money? Do we have money now? Yeah. Is money sinful? No. Money is great. Money is a really, really effective medium of trade, especially gold money, silver money. Will we trade in heaven? Will there be all the, 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 the realm of commerce and uh, buying and selling and so forth? Is that sinful? I don't think there's any reason to believe buying and selling is sinful. Can it be contorted or misused? Can people be greedy or 
Covetous, of course, but why would, why would buying, selling, producing, why would commerce itself be sinful? I think that's actually beautiful. It maximizes people's efforts. We could, we've created beautiful things through commerce. And stripped of all the sinful stuff attached to it? Oh, boy, that could be a beautiful thing. Well, I don't know. There's a good reason to suspect there won't be money in heaven. You're quite, did you, you, are you stretching? Okay. Economics is described as the science of scarcity, but there won't be scarcity. Says who? Well, no, 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 not the definition, but who says there won't be scarcity? There'll be, there'll be resources, um, but not, 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 I don't suppose, never-ending resources. Those are baby resources that would need to be allocated, grown, produced, distributed. What's the best way to allocate, distribute, produce, uh, distribute goods that we know of? It's a market. Now, the market, can the markets be full of sin or they can be full of greed? Yeah, but I don't think, this is my opinion, I don't think that's essential to markets. Look, what I'm suggesting is I think that markets could be used in a godly way in a new heavens and a new earth to maximize production. <laughs> you think about it, could I be wrong? Yeah, sure. I might be right on this, though. You have to think about all the people in this world. I mean, that they're doing work for the earth. Yeah. Like the building the mansions, carpenters, you know, all these people. They have to have jobs. Yeah, work. Come on. You mean I'm going to have to work? Work is only drudgery because of the fall into sin. Otherwise, it's glorious and beautiful. I got to the last question, but I didn't leave you with a bunch of time to ask a bunch more questions. I hope that's okay. Uh, I think I might. Wait, do I? Is it four? Yeah, it's four oh one. I'll take a question or two, and then we'll close up. I think with a hymn, and we'll break for the day. Anybody with a kind of a nagging question? I think we've given up on the mic. Have we? Oh, is it? yeah. Okay. Up front. Um. I guess my question is about um, teaching. Um, will we be teaching? Everybody's going to know. And, and also about um, worship. What kind of worship will it be? <laughs> um, so will there be teaching? Will there be worship? I think that there will be teaching. I think teaching is beautiful and godly. The Lord teaches, but he typically teaches through teachers. Um, and since I am, I am quite interested in learning things, I don't know of a way to learn things apart from teachers. I think there will be professions in heaven that will no longer be necessary, such as dentists. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, man, probably doctors. I think you're on thin ice. Um, police officers probably might be reallocated. Um, architects, builders, farmers. I think those are... Those are, those are professions that could be used, teachers. I guess I was thinking about um, Sunday school teachers and teaching children. I mean, so much of our mission here is to um, influence others, to, to bring the word to others. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that there'd be a role, it would seem to me, to be a role of increased knowledge of God. Do you think we'll get to the end? Do I think we'll get, get to a certain point in heaven and say, you know what, I think I've got everything down about God and the Holy Trinity and all of his mysteries. I'm going to move on to study something else and learn about something else. I don't think that'll ever happen. I think we'll, I think we'll perpetually be enthralled with, interested in, learn more and more all the time about God. What happens when we get to the end of everything we could know about him? I just don't think that'll happen. So will there be a role for teaching people about God? I can absolutely envision that. can't remember your other question that you asked after. Oh, yes, worship. Um, it, uh, so heaven is, it's, when it's presented in Revelation, for instance, in 7, 14, 21, they're all singing to the Lord, constantly worshiping. I don't necessarily think that's what your confirmation pastor told you when he said you'll be in church all, all day, every day. I think that we'll be serving him all day, every day. And that there will likely be times where we come together with, in particular moments of just tremendous song and worship. The worship, though, will be transformed, uh, won't it? Because much of our worship here is the reception of his gifts of forgiveness. Which, which I, I, can't, I don't think that's not going to be needed in heaven. And so we'll be just be gathered simply for thanksgiving and praise. And whatever boredom we have in that right now, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's been like once or twice in your life where you were bored at church. Whatever, that was sinful. Whatever boredom you would have now will just evaporate and be pure interest and delight in heaven. Maybe one more, or not. Okay, well, um, we were going to close with a hymn. And I... Did you, did you want to say a thing or two? So before Pastor Manlius concludes, uh, I'll have close with prayer. We'll say Jerusalem and Goldwood, which is number 672. Uh, just a quick note, if you did have, if you had a lanyard or the string name tag, if you put that back on the table on your way out so we can repurpose those. Uh, thanks again, Jacqueline, for getting all of our food. Just talk faster. Okay, let us pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the redemption you've purchased, uh, the redemption you've purchased through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, having paid the entire penalty of our sins, that we would stand before you without, uh, without sins, without guilt, and with no need for fear of our eternal home. We ask that you would keep us in our race and on our course. That we would run it with patience in the midst of whatever difficulties you've laid upon us in this short life, in the hope of life everlasting. That you would keep us until that day when we would lay eyes on you and see you face to face. We ask these things through your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the hymn is 672, and I think we'll stand for that.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.